Here we are, and welcome to another episode of the Friday Night Movie Podcast. You'll notice the buttery voice is back. I am back from Gamer Comic Expo, so I'm not yelling into a microphone in a noisy crowd anymore. But it is nice to be back in the studio with my two sisters and an amazing guest today. Uh, But before we get to our guest, I would love to know, Lily, how are you doing in Spain? I'm all right. I had strep this week as an adult. I've had it many times as an adult. (laughs) Disgusting. And um, you texted me, you're like, well, now your kid's in school, so there's like at least another three to four years of this. And I started crying. (laughs) (laughs) The worst. Yeah, it'll clear up when he's six. All right. Um, But other than that, yeah, I'm just very excited for this episode. So I'm very good. Becky, how are you doing? You guys can't tell because I'm wearing my my big headphones, my studio headphones. But oh, I got a, a true story. I got, is your I got mom? A hair. Is your hair changing changing qualities again? Because you're pregnant, like it went straight when Miri was no, born. No, my hair is changing qualities because I went to some to some lady that my friend found on Instagram who cut my hair out of her apartment. Becky sent me that as the like blurb uh, below the picture. I I was like, you brought this. I want to be clear. Instagram earlier today recommended a like home bidet kit and manscaping things. And you're taking (laughs) haircut advice from Instagram. And I basically ended up with a mullet and it's like an updated (laughs) mullet. But I just oh, you really should I post just, a picture. Like it's really post this just, episode because it's fantastic. So you look like do you look like Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon one? <laughs> like ex- oh my god, that's a perfect, <laughs> perfect, perfect like comparison. Because it would longer at the bottom and so and like Mel Gibson and Bird on a Wire. Te- the same type of texture <laughs> yeah. and curl situation. Oh I basically have his hair. So I'm struggling the last couple not, days. But Becky, I, I got to say, I'm not sure many of your haircuts over the last like five to ten years have been winners. So, <laughs> you know what? We're gonna debate this. We're gonna debate this off the pod because it's I, gonna get nasty. I would like I would like pictures, and then we can have people buy rent or meh your haircuts. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Let's and, do it. And um, we're. I'll, I'll just say quickly before we get to our guests. I want to. You thank... have so much to say. You have to do yeah, a whole other episode. I, well, it's gonna. Well, there's nine episodes coming out about this, so I'm just gonna quickly say thank you to uh, Gamer Comic Expo. Thank you to Eli and Galit uh, and the Lipnick family, who are our cousins, who I hadn't seen in so many years, and who are um, involved in, in in running this show. And they were amazing, and it was the perfect Friday night movie example because it was a great fan interactive experience but it was also an amazing family experience they totally her galit's family totally subbed in including cousin luli who helped me co-host an episode with her friends uh they we had the family just hanging out at the booth and stashing things and having lunch and it was a really special experience um by by the time this episode's air, some of the specials will be out and some will still be coming. But I got to interview WWE wrestling legend Brutus the Barber Beefcake. I interviewed the original voice cast of the Peanuts TV show from when we were kids. Um, Athena Finger, the heiress to the Dark Knight, that one's already out. Eric Stafford, who is a world-famous cosplayer. That episode's coming out or will have come out before this one. And that is probably the most amazing and uh, moving interview we've ever had. I, I, I haven't told you guys anything about it, but I can't wait to share it. And then uh, Mike Valdez, who who we did a panel together. Uh, JJ, who's a journalist from Coalition, The Coalition. And of course, 
mom did a whole segment with me, which was hilarious. She only did one segment? She did one like sit down where it was just the two of us. And I videoed it. But then you hear her in the background a lot, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, she's all over the place, but she... Ordering she... pastelitos for everyone. <laughs> she's, she's, she, the best was... Jonathan has, like, I've read a bunch of his stuff, and he talks about, like, the aggressive Jewish woman. And, like, that is... You want to meet an alpha just Jewish a, mom? A, a Cuban Jewish mom. Oh, God, you should bring her to your classroom as, like, a case study example of the alpha Jewish mom. Who also you should bring who also says I'm not a, I'm not I'm not aggressive, you know. Or she says the best time was when what I said, "Mom, stop about? trying to micromanage the plan." She says, "I'm not micromanaging. I'm just trying to be involved in my children's life." Uh, but in this in this case, the the briefing yet all like adds an, a layer of flair. Mom and Dad came down to the con multiple times while they were, of course, renovating their apartment in Florida. So it was total chaos, and they called me and offered to bring me lunch. And one of mom's great qualities is she does the reading of the menu. Like we went to a diner and mom reads every single thing to you to like get you to try to order it. <laughs> and on the phone, they called and they asked me, well, what do you want? There's a salad. There's mom goes, there's a turkey club. She knows I love a turkey club. And they're on the speakerphone. And I say, I would just like a plain turkey sandwich with nothing in it. And mom says, so you want a turkey club? And then dad, of course, says, he asked for a plain turkey sandwich, not a turkey club. She says, I just want to check. Are you sure you don't want the turkey club? And I said, <laughs> she I wants a bite of the club. She I, wants the turkey I just club. Want and she wants to order it. Just, she wants a, a square, a triangle of that turkey club. So, number one move. So mom arrives with my proper turkey sandwich, a turkey club for herself, uh, something that dad ordered, and then two additional bathtub-sized salads <laughs> in case I wanted a salad. And, oh, and, good, and I think, you know, there's no real way to segue out to that. So let's just get to our incredible guest, um, uh, Jonathan Brantman, uh, uh, Dr. Jonathan Brantman, correct? Dr. Yes. Dr. Jonathan Brantman, who is an author. He is a professor. He is a, 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 an observer and analyzer. Speaker? speaker. Oh, yeah. A TED Talk. Uh, a, TED, a TED Talk speaker. Um, he is the author of most recently the, the thing that I uh, got to know him through is UBU, The Kid's Guide to Gender, Sexuality, and Family, uh, which is an awesome book that my daughter has already read a chunk of. Uh, and uh, I know I've read and Becky's read because I sent Becky a copy recently. Mm-hmm. I, I live far. Lou lives in Spain. and I was. It'll take a long time to get my I don't, copy. You can't I don't, really I don't know how to gift there. a Kindle book. Yeah. Although it's out in Spanish as well. Like, I saw that twenty eight languages. Uh, I think I think we're at twenty one. Maybe someday twenty eight. I don't know. I oh okay. I'm, I got so excited. Either way, I guess I read Jonathan. But many multiple languages. We're going to talk about so much stuff in this episode. First of all, I just want to welcome you. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about Jews and pop culture. Right. Yeah. We're That's back to talking about Jews. Favorite we're topic. Talk, and we're going to make things extra uncomfortable because we're going to talk about Jews, masculinity, sexuality. This is going to be a much, I would say, sexier episode than our just listing of Jews and casting. So, you know, everyone um, brace yourselves. But um, before we get into the topics of the day, I would love to just have us go around and ask you a few questions about your incredible work. People should follow you and follow the work you're doing at JonathanBrevman.com. It is, I think it's it's funny, it's 
super insightful and it's extremely valuable. It, this is this is a discussion. The stuff you're writing about is discussions people need to be having, um, particularly in the Jewish community. So let's first talk thank, about. Thank you. I really appreciate oh, that. My, my, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Okay, let's first talk about the book. Okay, my daughter, who is an amazing. You have per- that weird Skype blurred thing happening. Me? I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, we have we have guests, so I had to clean up by putting the blur on. <laughs> <laughs> so so my daughter uh, who was my amazing intern at Gamer Comic Expo she was absolutely incredible uh, she pops into our room the other day and she picked up the book and she just started reading it and she, she turns to me and she says and she, she's like engrossed in it and then she turns to me and she says dad am I supposed to be reading this and I said <laughs> she's quite young well she's eight, eight. she's eight for five and five yeah, and up she said, I guess she's, she's, exactly reading, she says, dad there's a lot of stuff about Parts in this book, meaning like body parts. body parts, and I said, "This is okay. It's okay to read about parts when you're reading something that is a teaching book. And this is a teaching book. It's not making fun of them. It's not making you uncomfortable. This is something for you to learn. Why don't we look at it together?" So we read a little bit together, and I would say for parents who have uh, even the the brightest of kids, this is a great thing to look at with your kids because for them. Th- you know, let's say they've been around for eight years and there's only so much of these things that are hardened in their brain. But for us, there is a lot in this book that we never would have read about when we were kids. Like when we had Where Did I Come From and What's Happened to Me and that was pretty revolutionary. This, oh, I remember those like it was yesterday. I remember those books. Oh Jonathan, my... you know those books, right? Uh, or something like them. Right. Yeah, we had. I got that. We got our first copies from the Jedekin sisters. Uh, right. From from our babysitters who like they got rid of the old ones and they ended up. And I remember reading about a period for the first time and being like, "What is going?" I remember on reading here? about sperm for the first time and just being blown away. And, I did not understand what any of it meant. Nobody and, sat down and, and read it and, with me. And <laughs> as useful as all that information is, I feel like this this book is is extremely useful because it goes through everything from gender identity to what is the difference between sex and gender, which frankly adults could use that kind of explanation in the way it's done in this book, all the way down through privilege, which was actually, it was my favorite part of the book, which was the discussion of privilege and the most honest and empathetic way that privilege is discussed and, and it and it educates you how to how to observe that. Was, that. It's an amazing chapter. Thank um, you. So, so um, this is this is a great book. Everybody should everybody should I, check this I wanna, out. I want to say when I was reading it. Go for it, Beck. I was, I was, and I mean this in a in a very positive way. Should I talk? Should I, what you were just saying about like not having this information when we were kids? I was reading it, and I was so overwhelmed by the amount of information that's in there. Thinking how I really take it, take my knowledge of this of this topic of gender versus gender identity orientation, discrimination, privilege, all these things that I really take it for granted. And I feel like in our childhood, the headline was don't discriminate. Mm-hmm. And so we were raised with, you know, we don't discriminate. And so like, and then as an adult, as you're meeting people with different gender identities um, or, you know, or orientations or, or disabilities or what have you, you know, while there might be a moment of being curious about like oh what's that I've never seen that or experienced that before then you then I know like I de- I would default to oh, I just I don't I don't discriminate against anyone who's different from me but it's so much which I would say is a good starting point although it's I'm interested start, to what Jonathan I feel like, thinks. no I feel like like we 
you know, we're raised in a way that we have sure. a really good starting point. But what's so amazing about this book is that it's a lot richer, a lot deeper, a lot, you know, in ways more complicated, but also, I guess you could say simpler. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not simpler, but it is a lot more complicated than just don't discriminate. And to really understand that, and especially the part where, you know, you can like, create all these different conversations and talk about in like talking about intersectionality with with little kids like that's incredibly powerful to understand that a person is also not just one thing and that you yourself don't have to be one thing and so I was reading it and I was like overwhelmed by being like oh my god there's so much stuff I didn't know growing up that I'm lucky enough I was raised in a household and I live in a city where now I c I've been able to learn these things and interact with these things but what a powerful message and I'm like I literally was like okay so this needs to be required reading thank you for I would all <laughs> school children we should get this into the public school system make like well, this is what Berkeley, they you might be able to I actually think we really could in Berkeley like for real I for real for real I would love to have it be used in schools and I think what that would immediately bring up uh, on some news networks would be aha the gays are pushing their agenda and trying to propagandize right. to our children which is terrible yeah, which, is which i would say cinderella is propaganda yeah, yeah. Propaganda. oh, oh my god of course you know frequently yeah. in these conversations like with this book people will ask isn't it inappropriate to be speaking about gender and sexuality with children and i say first of all no it's appropriate to understand yourself and your world but that question also assumes that children are living in this Disney-fied vacuum where there is no right. information about gender and sexuality. <laughs> when, when in fact, the Disney-fied vacuum is full of ideas about gender and sexuality, but they are harmful myths. Like the idea that everyone has to be a boy or a girl. Or like if you watch The Little Mermaid, that scene Kiss oh the Girl is all about oh kissing without consent. I like I cannot it's, believe that how like much this, I love that like movie. how much we are so raised. Bad. And like I look at myself and go, I still turned out to be a pretty smart, you know, feminist person. Um, but oh my God. That's, I can't that's a particularly bad one. It's a particularly but, bad model. Can I, I haven't read your book yet, unfortunately, because I haven't been able to oh, physically get it, it here yet. But I read about it a bunch, and just from hearing from Shy and Becky, and I have to say that you, you thank you because I feel, as a parent, a new parent, I f feel overwhelmed, and I have a lot of wonderful, very conscious uh, girlfriends with kids about the same age, and Spanish particularly is like a more genderized. Oh language. The Hebrew translation was the hardest with the gender, but uh, Spanish also, we hit that difficulty. And I have a lot of friends that are trying to speak to their children with with flipping the genders on their head or trying to not, because everything in Spanish is feminine or masculine. Yeah. And everything that's generalized is masculine. Mm -hmm. And they have, like, a, there's an issue with that fundamentally. I have such a hard time just speaking Spanish that I'm sort of like, I'm not barking up that tree personally because I'm learning the language still. But I understand where they're coming from where they're like, we need to take this a step further. And you put that upon the, like, discrimination issues and a million other things. And I'm like, oh, my God, this topic is just too, it's so broad. But yet if you have a resource like your book, as a, you can sit down and... Mm -hmm. Take it by chapter by chapter. You can let your kid have some free reading and then sit and read with your kid. Like just that as a resource is fantastic as a parent. Thank you. So that I, was actually part of my motivation for writing it. I was, was going to ask. 
if yeah. Yeah, well, so I guess there were two connected motivations. One was that as a gay person who wants to have children one day, I knew that I would have to have these conversations with my children one day, and I did not want to have to improvise them on the spot. <laughs> uh, so I, I wanted to have a resource I could just read to kids, and that resource didn't exist yet, and I'm lucky that I was able to write it and find a publisher for it. And then the other connected motivation was my experience teaching gender studies in a university where I'm teaching adult students who have been watching The Little Mermaid for 18 years. And, um, you know, it can be validating and exciting to help adult students unlearn 20 years of harmful gender myths. But wouldn't it be awesome if we all just got that accurate information in the first place oh at the same God. time we learned the ABCs? So that's the future I'm hoping for with this book. So you are uh, you are not a parent, as you mentioned, yet. Uh, one day, you, of course, will be. And uh, Lily, uh, Becky, and I are all parents. And uh, how did you how did you research the part about getting to the audience? Did you talk to parents a lot in, in the crafting of this book? Did you workshop it with them? You know, I probably should have, but it just all flowed really naturally. I think in part because I have worked for summer camp at many years, which of course is not the same as being a parent. Wait, but wait I, was it Jewish summer camp? Uh, of course it was Jewish. Yeah. So it's yeah. basically like parenting. Shy, we've all three of us have learned most of our skills. That is true. I will say, I walk around a very confident parent, mostly because of Jewish summer camp. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I hope that's going to work out for me, too. I hope the skills will all come back. Um, I'm using some of the skills now, actually, while dog-sitting for some neighbors. But, (laughs) but, uh, um, you know. Like like, like Torah Newt? Like, is the dog, like, you know... Doing um, chores, and, doing chores, and oh, no, it's more like holding a group's attention. You know, when everyone has their own energy, <laughs> trying go, um, yeah. and trying to explain concepts in ways that are clear for the whole audience. Right. But, but this is all to say, uh, you know, at Jewish summer camp, I had to translate t- Torah concepts for, for in some <laughs> cases, very young kids. Um, and to me, gender feels much easier to translate. Uh, so, it really, the writing of the book was pretty much one hour um, with some edits afterward. But I think it had just been percolating for a long, long time through the teaching that I was doing for college students. Well, it's it's phenomenal. And shout out to the illustrations because immediately when I was reading it, immediately when I noticed, I go, oh, wow, these drawings include people with disabilities. These drawings include people of different you know, colors. These drawings include people who clearly awesome. come from different backgrounds. And I, yeah. and it was like before you even got to even mentioning something like disabilities, that um, imagery is incorporated in the book and, and it's really well done. Thank you. I want to like publicly thank Julie Ben Bassett, the illustrator. She did a wonderful work and she and I collaborated every step of the way, bouncing ideas about each picture. Like on the page about intersectionality, we really wanted to have a black Jewish boy uh, <laughs> to have like the image of, of a black, of a Jewish person in the book also be a person of color because that's right. a form of intersectionality that is so often forgotten. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about your Ted talk here. I think you're the first, you're the first guest we've had that is a, a, a Ted talker. Uh, uh, another another powerful talk, but also you, I love the way you use humor in it. Mm. Um, uh, how does how do you go about preparing a TED talk uh, uh, like that, it, where you have to hit those notes of both humor yeah. and sending a powerful message? Well, first, in terms of humor, uh, so my colleague Kristen Collins and I actually published a paper on the feminist pedagogy of laughter. And generally, in all my teaching, like I really believe serious learning can be an upbeat experience, and laughter can 
advance our conversations about serious issues like inequality and not trivialize them. And so I brought that attitude into the talk. Um, and I had a great coach. His name was Edmund. We were all paired with coaches who helped us kind of plan out our ideas, both the, the um, informational and emotional arc of the talk. And we just practiced, practiced, practiced and got good feedback. And uh, it was certainly a collaborative process. So you you referenced the movie Mean Girls a lot yeah. in that talk. Oh yeah, uh, and I remember seeing that in the theater, thinking it was uh, absolutely fantastic at the time. How much? And you used more pop culture and more relevant pop culture than I've pretty much seen anyone in this topic. How do you go about picking those pop culture elements? Are they because they are personal to you, or do you go out and research them? Um, a bit of both. Like with a comedy stand-up routine, you write the material based on your experience, but then you see what makes the audience laugh. Um, and so, for example, in we use the Mean Girls joke often in the sex ed talk that I give, um, and we also used to make a joke about like the difficulties of using computers and comparing that to putting on a condom, and it just didn't land the same way. So <laughs> even though it made sense in my head, because I find Skype really challenging, but... <laughs> but um, you know, the Mean Girls joke stuck in a different way. I'm sure that in the next, like, four or five years, that's going to change as a new generation comes up that doesn't know Mean Girls as well. You're going to have to watch more mm -hmm. movies. Okay, let's talk movies, TV, because that's what, that's what the podcast is ultimately about. Um, we did a very, we called it a very Jewish episode a few weeks ago, uh, mm -hmm. and when you and I had a chance to talk, we were bouncing different ideas uh, off each other. And a subject that I, I think is extremely powerful these days is the discussion of masculinity in general, mm -hmm. masculinity, mm -hmm. like the study of masculinity. Um, and uh, we got into the topic of Jewish masculinity. And uh, you said, I, and I didn't really think about it this way, but you said, you had asked me if I like the movie's neighbors. And, you know, I don't really, we didn't know each other that well. So I was like, I really like those movies, but I don't know if that's the right answer in this case. <laughs> but, but from your perspective, neighbors is a study in Jewish masculinity. Right. To me, the humor of those movies works because Seth Rogen and Zac Efron perform Jewish masculinity in such inverse ways. And how do you how do you define this? Okay, explain what that means. Yeah, how do you explain? Sure. That? So, okay, most Americans, including most Jewish Americans, don't know that for like most of the last thousand years, Jews were considered non-white, and that that racial stigma was linked with gender and sexual stigmas. So there was this like very common image in European and Euro-American pop culture of Jewish men as emasculated, Jewish women as too mannish, and both as sexually perverse. So you have like myths in the Middle Ages about Jewish men menstruating. Or you have 19th century images of Jewish women that are kind of similar to images of drag queens today. So this myth of the, quote, beautiful Jewess who is racially exotic and seductive, but also aggressive and deceitful in ways that are associated with masculinity. So even if you read the original uh, Sherlock Holmes stories, the character of Irene Adler, one possible reading of that character and her, her quote, beautiful face, but masculine trickery and deceit are that you could read her as a Jewish character. Well, her name's pretty darn Jewish. Right. Yep. She's got the name. Um, also, in the same way that Latina women are often stereotyped in the present as dancers, Jewish women were often imagined in 19th century Europe as uh, performers, and, like stage performers. And Irene Adler is an opera performer. And that's associated both with like titillating sexual performance, but also with deceit. And that feeds into a broader kind of stigma on Jews as this mm -hmm. 
like supposedly invisible nefarious minority that can uh, in some ways be racially other, but in some ways sneak into the mainstream. So this is all to say that in the present, our pop culture stereotypes like the nebbishy nice Jewish boy, mm-hmm. uh, like- um, Hey, gosh, that's worked out for me. Yeah, it's worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a nice Jewish boy too, or I, I fit pe- that image in people's minds. But, if you think of a character like Jim in American Pie, Mm-hmm. images of the bossy Jewish mother, of the uh, frigid and bossy, quote, Jap Jewish American princess. These are all like very much milder versions of older racialized pop culture images. So even Fran Fine on The Nanny, when she has her like flowing long brown wavy hair and the hot red sequiny dress, there are 19th century paintings of, quote, beautiful Jewesses that look just like that. Wow. Whoa. Um, so that's all to say in a movie like Neighbors, Seth Rogen and Zac Efron are playing in different ways with that legacy of racial, gender and sexual stigmas or pop culture stereotypes about Jews. So I've got I've got Seth Rogen's look mm-hmm. and attitude down. So Zac Efron, who I have, unlike my sister Becky, known was Jewish all along. Cause but not- he doesn't. He's not what I like. I look at Seth Rogen and I go, obviously you're Jewish. Or even like a Paul Rudd and I go, chances are you're Jewish. But, but a Zac Efron type, it didn't like I know, OK, the name sounds Jewish. But I look at him and I look at the roles he's done and I don't think, oh, that guy's definitely Jewish. OK, Becky, tell me why. This is going to be really interesting. Because he was... um like a like a teen heartthrob mm-hmm. and i don't associate that with with he like he also a has like the piercing person. blue eyes and blonde right. hair right. like he's even like, he's like a perfect face he's and singer. these are like, not it's just, even like, stereotypes we associate with even paul rudd Jewish who dude. who there's a great joke in the between two ferns movie mm-hmm. where he asks yes. him have you have you how long have you <laughs> have you gotten so good at hiding your jewishness or something like that but even paul rudd like his attractiveness is to the like middle-aged very, woman yeah. you know like the sort of like middle-aged suburban woman wants a paul rudd to settle down with right although <laughs> he got sharing clueless so but but like but but back to zach efron like i know him as like a teen like a like a teen heartthrob you know persona in pop culture and so i don't associate that whereas like seth rogan it's like it's um freaks and geeks and you just kind of look at him and the way he sounds you're like "Mm, he's very jewish you know (laughs) it's yeah my own bias my own stereotypes i guess so i think part of what we're getting at is that although obviously jewish people like everybody else come in all different gender performances and sizes and shapes of course stars who fit the historical image of a jew and of jewish masculinity get kind of limited or pressured into certain forms of performance in pop culture. Or another way to think of it is the kind of jokes they can make and get away with and that audiences will understand on their bodies uh, are different right. than the jokes that Zac Efron can make and that audiences will understand on his body. Like Seth Rogen can like throw out a Yiddish word that's right. in pop culture and everybody will laugh. But like if Seth if Zac Efron does and it's just like ironically used. It's, right. it's if he does use it, it's not he's not using it in the same way. It doesn't way. seem natural. Right. right, and that might be a funny joke in and of itself, but it's not the same. Per- he doesn't have the same permission, ironically, even though he's technically Jewish, to kind of embody that Jewishness. I I have a a question. Yes, if that's okay. Um, what I found was really interesting about like going into the the this the, the dichotomy between the two characters or actors because it's weird. It's now it's hard to separate the actors mm-hmm. from the characters. Yeah, but. Um, 
is the idea of the Jewish bro. Mm. So I, I, we have the Woody Allen, right? And we have the, the the characters, not the man himself. Let's not bring him into this, please. But, you know, the characters of the Nebishi neurotic Jew. And then we can extrapolate that to, like, many other characters previously and since. And then there's maybe all of a sudden or in the last recent years or whatever, this sort of Jewish bro character. Yeah. That so, well, I don't know if that, that, that like, anyways, but I, I, to the point where I was reading an article that was talking about how birthright advertisements, huh. birthright is the trip, right? That yeah, like, it's yeah. a trip that takes Jewish, for those who don't know, the a, a trip that like brings uh, Jewish young kids to a trip to Israel to experience the country. Um, and that the advertisements are like these bro like frat kind of looking guys abs zach efron ish looking now let's be clear when we went to jewish summer camp so i came from the northeast chapter of the camp and then are you going to to defend the abs no 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 i didn't have any (laughs) what i was saying is that when i was in the northeast uh the northeast crew and we got to the national camp with kids from all over and the texan kids showed up like a foot taller than everyone else, stacked with abs, really good at basketball, great guys. But there are there are absolutely, if you're within Jewish culture, I think a Jewish there bro, Zach yeah. Efron type. Right, but no, exactly, and and that type might be from our generation, like in dads and our dads' generation or your folks' generation. They I don't were know all that. Nebuchadnezzar. Dads' generation. But I don't, they also I don't know basketball. if they let Jonathan speak. But we have to let but wait. Him but like our Jewish grandfather was a firefighter with Irishmen. Right. In New York, I mean, like he he played football in high school. The Jewish bro may have been existing for a long time. Now we're seeing it in pop, pop culture. culture. Yeah, so and there's a that great... I find really interesting. Yeah, so I agree with you that um, what we're talking about is the gap between pop culture stereotypes and real life. So right. um, there's a great book called Jews in the Gym about the history of Jewish men um, essentially trying to use sports and exercise to push back on the stigmas about themselves. Um, so actually, like oh. my my boss when I worked in San Francisco, or one of my bosses was quite elderly at the time, but had been a boxer as a young Jewish man growing up on the West Coast. And there was this whole movement in like my grandfather's time, early 20th century, of Jewish men who went into boxing as a way of proving their masculinity. Um, And in the same way that I think some gay men, and I say this as somebody who's both Jewish and gay, I meet some gay men who like work really hard to buff up as a way of countering the stigma that they must be effeminate. There's almost a similar stigma on Jewish men. In fact, the stigmas on gay men and Jewish men are quite similar in the same way that some of the stigmas on lesbian women and Jewish women are quite similar. So right. I, I see the... I, I see the turn towards muscularity as sometimes an intentional move to push back on that pop culture stigma of emasculation. But you're right, it's interesting that now we're seeing it visualized in pop culture differently. I think a key issue, though, is that many of Zac Efron's bro characters on screen are not Jewish. Exactly. Like, that's like, it, mm-hmm. right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's that's a point you made in one of your many fantastic articles that I yeah. <laughs> browsed. Um, that that you were saying that it sort of I, well, I'll let you say it yourself. But I believe you were saying something to the effect of Zach in neighbors is not Jewish. You literally said you'd let him say it himself. Well, I'm just going to let him know what I want him to say. He doesn't know what I want him to say. 
how in Neighbors... so classically, just like middle child all the way. So this actually feeds into a feminist film studies conversation about hyper-whiteness. And there are great authors like Richard Dyer and Russell Muoff and Christine Bakke who write about this. Basically, hyper-whiteness is when movies present us with white characters who embody the worst traits associated with whiteness. Racism, greed, violence, conformity, frigidity, characters like Agent Smith in um, The Matrix or Voldemort and Draco Malfoy in Harry Potter. And then the films either kill off or punish these characters with the effect that white viewers can say, oh, I'm not like those characters. Uh, I'm, I'm part of a like nicer, softer, more genteel whiteness. Um, and what's really interesting is that a lot of earlier hi- movies about hyper-whiteness violently kill off the hyper-white characters, like Agent Smith, or the vampires in Blade, or, um, or Voldemort in Harry Potter. And what you see more recently is this turn towards comedic punishment of the hyper-white characters in a way that reforms them and allows them also to be part of like a new multicultural society where whiteness can feel better about itself, but where the power structures aren't that different. And a great example is in Neighbors, especially Neighbors 2, where like Zac Efron, instead of getting like killed by a black vampire hunter in Blade, gets kind of comedically brought down a peg. Right, ridiculed. Right, ridiculed by white women and a white Jewish man who are like slightly different minorities. And then they welcome him into the multicultural future where he can get his act together and be a gay wedding planner. Um, I have a follow-up it's question. Like, that that's the reverse. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I have a follow-up question. It's like a little bit of the reverse. What? What? Do I, remember when Ryan Reynolds played the Jewish lawyer in that yeah. in that movie? And I feel like everyone was like, Ryan Reynolds playing a Jewish person. How is that's that going to be believable? Example, right. Like and then example. it's like the opposite of like he, you know, him playing Jew- and and watching going he was really believable as that jewish lawyer what's that about can you explain that to me i'm glad you asked so i'm teaching a class now called tv's new jews where we're watching a lot of the goldbergs um so not the goldbergs (laughs) i I just don't find them that interesting but like broad city crazy amy schumer my heart see but the thing is that i think like it makes sense because goldbergs plays into one jewish stereotype which is fine and Mm. it's hilarious and that's bev or Bevy, but the rest of, and maybe, I guess, Murray, but Adam? the rest of the characters aren't really, it's sort of like linear, I feel like. Sure. Well, and the mother on that show in the very first episode is called My Overbearing Jewish Smother, which is like right. such a perfect example of these these long-term gender stigmas. Right. Also, there's like a really gross history of Jewish men using these stigmas to, to blame Jewish women for men's own failures at assimilation. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, if, if you're not fitting it's into a, American society. It's if, yeah, it's like, if you're, not, if you're not succeeding well enough, if you're not living up to American images of white Gentile masculinity, just blame it on a woman. Uh, and so there's like a, a feminist critique of that behavior. A lot of Philip Roth novels certainly can be read that way. I would just say, in defense of the Goldbergs, and, and everyone knows I'm a host <laughs> of the official Goldbergs <laughs> podcast, a Gold Nerds podcast with the other Gold Nerds, uh, there is a lot more depth in the characters and their growth if you watch it over seven seasons. I'll just leave okay. it there. So you just sure. watch seven seasons. There. No biggie. Wait, finish what you were saying yes, about my question. Answer saying. my question. Uh, yes. Now I have lost your question. Okay. So my question was to talk about like that reversal of someone, oh, not just yeah. not Jewish, but like such an and You're alpha, teaching a class, you were yeah. saying, but you just aren't. Her. Like right. not everything is about the Goldbergs is what you're saying right. for you. Okay. But the, so in, in TV's New Jews, something my students brought up that I had not planned was that everything we're watching is a comedy. Um, and 
the films that try to seriously tackle anti-Semitism frequently do not cast Jewish actors in those roles. So like Ryan Reynolds as the lawyer, another great example that everybody forgets is School Ties, which is oh. the Brendan Fraser oh, and Ben Harris movie. movie. We have talked about that on this We've podcast, that. Yeah. for sure. Uh, well, I'm glad, I'm glad. It's, it's People kind of forget about it, and it's a story about this uh, young Jewish boy, well, teenage boy in the 50s, played by Brendan Fraser, who passes as Gentile to attend an upper-class boarding school. And I would say the connection in those cases is that the gender, sexual, and racial stigmas associated with Jewish people are, like, embarrassing in a way that is most suited to comedy. So when Jewish stars become popular as explicitly Jewish people, it's often by playing with those stereotypes in a way that is self-deprecating and humorous. Like all, like the reason Seth Rogen is famous is that he has harnessed the power of these embarrassing stereotypes and made a career out of it. Um, whereas when you're trying to have a serious movie about anti-Semitism, you don't want people laughing at Seth Rogen in that movie. You want them taking it seriously. And that's why in the context of current gender and sexual stigmas on a- Jews. Adrian Brody's not Jewish. Yes, he is. Is he Jewish? Adrian no, Brody? No, I don't believe he is. I don't believe he's not he's Jewish. Jewish. He's not. No, no I don't wow. believe he is. Um, and, and he's, I'm, that's, I'm just saying, like the pianist, right? Right. Like, and he is, I think he was Catholic. Father is Polish Jewish. Oh, oh is he? Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought he, he was Jewish. Interesting. Well, I, guess I mean, was, he might not have been raised Jewish, but he is. I don't, of I don't think he descent. was, but right. whatever. And I, and I would just like to say, I, I am not here to to police who identifies as Jewish and who doesn't. Right, uh, but, um, He's certainly not a star who's publicly associated with performances of Jewish stigma. Right. Like he doesn't he doesn't talk about himself as a nice Jewish boy, and that's right. part of what makes him suitable for a serious role. Okay, I see, okay, I see what you're like sum, summarizing it. Like if well, the if the uh, actor. Which I think works with Paul Rudd, too. The biggest mm-hmm. revelation we had was when we did our Jewish episode, and we talked about Daniel Day freaking Lewis. That mm-hmm. guy, oh, like, yeah. I mean, I would have never been able to tell you that he had well, that I don't anything know. Jewish about him. And he has played these extremely masculine characters for which, you know. Uh, but, but to Jonathan's point, yeah, exactly. I don't know. He doesn't. Right. So he, 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 like, he was on an IMDb list of Jews. I don't know what his personal upbringing was like but like upbringing or not upbringing i feel like you for for uh, definitely with masculinity with women i I wonder we could talk about that too Mm -hmm. but with men i think it's pretty obvious that like to to jonathan's point if you lean into the jewishness Mm -hmm. you're pegged much easier for comedies and comedic roles yeah and if you lean out (laughs) you brought in your acting choices roles so, what yeah. do you? Th- oh, so can I? Can we take a total right turn here. This is not on our predefined thing. So if you don't want to talk about it, we can sure. dump it or we can cut it. But w- something. There's a movie that we really loved, and mm-hmm. to me, it was my favorite movie of last year, which was Black Klansman. Mm. Oh yeah, I'm teaching that next week. Yeah. Yeah. Black Klansman has. Oh my God, oh, can, can I, I go take to your, your class? class? Sure. Can I please just Come take your class. <laughs> Can you like if you did like a web streaming of it, I would pay to take that class. Oh my gosh. So, I would oh, audit your class so digitally. One hundred percent. I'll send you the syllabus if you want. Uh, oh my gosh. So, no, I want you to be teaching. Like there's so much fun. So hey. there there's three layers of black clansmen I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. One is you have Adam Driver playing a mm-hmm. Jewish guy who doesn't necessarily there's the journey of that character but also the right. fact that he doesn't particular that he's passing as a white supremacist. Right. But then there is the the historical context of Spike Lee's relationship 
with the representation of Jews in his movies mm. and the the tension that he has always walked back and forth and, and not universal criticism. Some people, you know, he has a lot of Jewish performers that are regulars in his movies. Um, uh, how just what do you think of that? I don't really know where to start. I realize you're teaching a whole class on it, but but not only do you have this Jew playing against type, and you have a very overall positive movie, but you also have Spike Lee, who and the has had not, a, and, they, and they very specifically, the film very specifically is like one of the storylines is Adam Driver's character reconciling with the fact that he passes as Gentile, and then what that means for his own identity. So it's like it's a that's a big part of his character development for sure. Um, and I, I don't believe Adam Driver is Jewish. He's which not I think Jewish. Is, no, no, so that's another not. interesting case of casting a non-Jewish actor in a Jewish role for a movie that's about seriously addressing anti-Semitism. <laughs> um, but I can say, from what I've read, the Jewish character was his artistic choice. It was an addition. Yes. Because I believe in real life. true story. Right. In the true right. story, if there was, the, the white partner was not a Jewish partner. Right. And I actually appreciate that in this time of resurgent white nationalism, when the links between anti-Semitism and racism are so obvious, like in Charlottesville when white supremacist marchers chanted, you will not replace us and Jews will not replace us. I really appreciate Spike Lee using a feature film to draw those connections for viewers because in both activist and scholarly conversations on race we frequently neglect jewish topics it's very tempting to completely conflate light-skinned jews with white gentiles instead of right. carefully addressing how a light-skinned jewish person can experience both white privilege and racial stigma and violence at once it almost feels like I mean, I, I and I have felt personally, I don't know if you guys have experienced, but it almost feels like that eh, you're lumped together and that you don't really have a right to also voice like worry or fear or or distinction in terms of discrimination. Yeah. And I, I definitely see that here. Like, forget, like I basically, like this is a generally white society and it, 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 there is no distinction you're either white or you're not white. Right. Because everybody's Christian anyways. Right. But, so. the, but I think the, the difficulty is that really, for the entire history of race as a social idea, Jews have not been either white or non-white. So, like, first of all, let's acknowledge that there are Jews of all colors, like Drake. Right. Uh, Angela Bukdal, who's a well-known uh, Asian-American rabbi. Oh, um, yeah. I've seen her perform. Yeah. I've seen Tiffany her sing. Haddish. Becky, we yeah, were talking yeah. about this. Oh, Tiffany I'm, Haddish is technically Jewish. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm adding a chapter in my book about her performance of uh, Jewishness, race, and gender, and comedy. Uh, and I'm interested to compare her with a, a fellow star like Alana Glazier, who in some ways does very similar comedy. Right. But, um, but so even for Jews who are light-skinned, historically in Europe and the U.S., they were categorized as, quote, Orientals, Asiatics, or Semites um, in the 20s. There were like new immigration regulations to block Irish, Jewish, and South, South European people from immigrating on the grounds that they were considered a non-white or off-white race. And one of the great difficulties, I think, for all of us is how do you speak about that history and present without ignoring Jewish access to white privilege? But also being gay, you're really like making oh, you know, things I'm complicated. Multitask. I'm multitask. Seriously. Um, Fascinating. Um, I believe uh, UBU says intersectional. Yes, inter. Um, yeah, well, well, we're we're all intersectional, you know. Right. In this, because like somebody like Brendan Fraser, who is like white and a man, and I believe straight and able-bodied, that is an intersectional identity. It's just an intersection of many advantages, whereas many right. people have an intersection of 
both advantage advantages. Right, right. like intersectionality is not neither good or bad or. It's just reality. It's, right, it's reality. It's just some people's intersectionality has, you know, more benefits than others. For sure. But, but I suppose when it comes to the issue of speaking about Jewishness and anti-Semitism, if on one hand, I think the Jewish community often struggles to speak about its white privilege, feminist, queer, and anti-racist communities often struggle to speak about anti-Semitism. And there is frequently this sense that if you mention fear of anti-Semitism, you are just trying to dodge your white guilt uh, and, and like distract from, quote, real issues. And I want to add, like, it's not like I'm making, it's not like I'm the first to say this. Jewish no. feminists have been writing about this since the 70s, and uh, I hope to help the field of feminist studies become more aware of this issue. So, so speaking of women yeah. and Jewishness, uh, yeah. I want to do a little bit on Maisel. Because oh, good. I really want, I really want to talk about it. I really want to hear Jonathan's I, opinion. I have, I, on the show, I have... I, I, I watch the show as part of us watching uh, being on this show. We, I watch the show. I have always had a certain discomfort with the portrayal of Jews on, on Miss on Mrs. Maisel. And the, the best way I can describe it is people come up to me who, who know I love TV and know I'm Jewish, but don't know me very well. And they say, Oh, you must watch Mrs. Maisel. They don't say, Oh, you watch the Goldbergs, which I love and I think is, you know, much more connected to my identity. They don't, they don't mention, um, uh, they didn't, they, you know, they, they, well, not that I necessarily want them to mention, you know, Operation Finale or, or Munich or something like that. But I feel like there's like this like wink, wink of like, this is such a Jewish show. So, mm-hmm. you know, you must like it. And, and there's something about that that has made me uncomfortable because I don't Can really I, love the portrayal of the character. I want to add a couple things. First of all, when it, when season one premiered, I want to say a solid half a dozen people, all not Jewish, said to me, Oh my God, you're just like Maisel. I'm not really just like Maisel, but that was their association. Not a single Jewish friend said that to me. Um, but two, also you're I nothing do, like her, so that's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think. So like, I know but you pretty but well it's because they they know me as I'm like the Jewish person that they know, and then they that's see loud and, and you're trash and so just like what? Yeah. I just want to throw that out there. One, two. I love the show. I love the portrayals of all the different types of Jews that I see in it. But I'm weary of two things that I love if you could address. One is the that borderline between a character and a caricature. Mm. And when when are we being portrayed as caricatures and why is that harmful and when is that harmful? And two, sometimes I get the feeling where I'm watching and I'm like, oh, that feels like insider information we shouldn't be sharing with everyone. <laughs> Out of context. There's like, and, I would yeah. say- well, there's like specific, and it's specifically Joel and his father, like Joel's father, and like the stuff that goes on there. And there's like certain insider things, and I'm like, I don't know that everyone needs to know about certain behaviors or things. So, those are my like tips of things that you could address if you want. Well, so first of all, my confession is I've only seen the first half of season one. That's uh, okay. And, 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 um, Shy's on board. That's fine. I've watched I, both seasons, and I'm recover you know it's it's good but you get the idea after a few episodes yeah i mean i enjoyed what i saw i think there are other comedies by and about jewish women that have grabbed me more like broad city and crazy ex-girlfriend um i also uh feel cautious of the fact that non-jewish actors are playing some of the lead roles um which is 
like not necessarily always a bad Shy, thing. Shy has labeled that Jew face. Uh, well, and, and, and we should point out <laughs> there, there is like actually in American pop culture, there is a history of a stage technique called Jew face. Right. Uh, where if you read like 19th century descriptions of actors playing Shylock and the Merchant Shylo- of Venice. I mean, I was going to say Shylock is a prime example. Right. So there's a great book by Harley Erdman called Staging the Jew, where he like lists out the steps from this 19th century actor. And it's like, put on a curly black Jew wig, smear on greasy brown Jew face oh or Jew makeup, um, put on a big Jew nose. So the, 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 there is in fact a history of this performance style. And I suppose it seems odd to me to see a non-Jewish woman celebrated for performing stereotypes for which Jewish women are frequently stigmatized in real life. Um, right, and- There's the, that's yeah. the clincher. But yeah. Alex Borstein is Jewish and plays a character who's not it's Jewish, not Jewish. which so is interesting. very interesting. And, it and, is. And if Susie she, isn't I, Jewish? I was Susie's no, not she's not. There's like, a whole thing they go into her background about like her right. weird. I think they're like Polish? like her like super like dysfunctional family. Oh, there's okay. like a, yeah, episodes Italian. Definitely, I don't. She's definitely she's not like Jewish. Italian or Irish or I don't know. She's not. Which I thought was really funny because I was like, if she was right. Jewish, then she's portrayed as the the the, the mannish. Jew, Jewish woman. Right. She's not. Her no, husband not and like whatever. But she's not Jewish in the show. Um, but oh. ironically, she's the Jewish actor. She does a fantastic job. Um, I mean, I think a key issue is that her there, name is Susie Meyerson. You're telling me that character is not Jewish? I think not, your the own stereotype. She's not Jewish. You go and you meet her family. You, you see her whole background. She's not Jewish. You meet her family, but I don't recall them being Jewish or not Jewish in the way they were described. Definitely not Jewish. Okay, I'm going to check it out. You guys keep talking. I think part of the issue we're getting at is creative control of Jewish self-representation. So um, in Europe and the U.S., there have been visual representations of Jews since about the year 1000, like starting with illustrated manuscripts and sculptures and whatever. But for the first like 800 or so years of that, those images were completely beyond the control of Jews themselves. Like, you know, often either written descriptions by priests or other theologians or derogatory drawings and caricatures. So it's really uh, with like the rise of 19th century U.S. stage culture and then really with the rise of Hollywood that for the first time in world history, like Jewish artistic producers are creating the main images of Jews that the whole population is consuming. Um, and what's funny is that we often assume diversity behind the camera equals positive representation on screen, and that has not been the case for Jews in Hollywood. Um, So Jewish writers, producers, and actors have often participated in presenting caricatures of Jews, even like as early as the 1920s. And I think what is so powerful about our current moment is that you have some Jewish comedians like Amy Schumer or Alana Glazer and Abby Jacobson really claiming control of those images and doing cool, subversive things with them. And that's why it strikes me as odd to then also at the same time have a show where a non-Jewish actress is performing these stereotypes. And to me, it it references a longer and uglier history. So I, I would say I'm, I'm in general, um, just to, to clarify here, I, I'm in general more chill about people playing people from different backgrounds. Mm. I think you really, meaning like, you know, Brendan Fraser playing a Jew. Hey, welcome to the party. Uh, you know, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, but I think to your point, it's it's when someone who is not of that character that is playing those stereotypes, then it, it feels very weird. It's you know, it makes me think of I don't know if you watched Glow, 
Um, but Glow is a show that we've talked a lot about here. And there's the episode where they all switch roles in the in the wrestling match. Yeah. And uh, Jackie Thon's character Ugh, plays, like the best episode. plays her Asian friend's uh, her Asian friend's character on stage, Cambodian. A Cambodian, yeah. Who's she's Cambodian, and and it takes the character a while to make it understood that it wasn't okay for her to play those stereotypes, right? Because she wasn't from that background. That's one of my favorite episodes of TV for sure in the last year. If you know. Well, and while we're speaking about this, I think it's important to mention that Jewish actors and actresses have frequently been cast as other ethnicities as well, often in derogatory roles. So as Italian, um, mm-hmm. in some cases, Native American. And, and Asian. Let's not and forget a- Joel, Joel Gray. Is it Joel Gray? Oh, is no, it, is no. That- who's who? No, Mickey Rooney. No, he's not Jewish. Mickey, it's Mickey, Mickey Rooney in Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh. Um, well, one could say Joel Gray yeah. played. Where he played Master Chun in. Uh, in oh, there you go. In, uh, right. in right. Uh, right. Uh, Remo Williams, I, I, you know, it's a cool part, but right. It's so an it's odd all choice. to say that like Jewish perf- Jewish characters and performers have both been stigmatized in this way and have participated in stigmatizing others in this way. And I also want to add, this is like not a particular critique of Rachel Brosnahan herself, but a broader question of. What history do these images come out of, and what do they mean for viewers consuming them in the present, even viewers who don't know that history? And then does it feel like with Mrs. Maisel, people who aren't on the inside, as in like people who aren't Jewish and then haven't been raised with this particular type of Jewishness, I get, like that's what I was saying before, I get a little bit self-conscious of being like, oh, is this is this validating all the things that they think think about? Is this what you think of? Is this validate? Because now you're celebrating it. So you're like, see, I was right. This is what all the Jews are. I think like when it's a representation of someone to circle back to the Goldbergs, like Bevy, who's such an extreme exam. It's such an exaggeration on so many of motherhood of like, whatever of so many different things. It's almost like a Seth Rogen where we can go, ha ha ha. It's it, And it's, you know, it's not done just for laughs. There's heart involved in the characters, too. This is not... This is a funny show, but it's the portrayal as if it's supposed to be realistic. Right. And right. You're being the, told this is a... This is a. This, this is, is a the truth. way it really is. This is not an exaggeration. Yeah. This right. is how Jews in the 50s and probably today behave. That being said, I think Tony Shalhoub is amazing. He's like, sure, but that's the thing. The, is, what, the, the, the conflict I have with the show is that I think it's great. It's really fun. I like the writing... Um, I like the the way women, not Jewish women, women are portrayed on the show, um, like taking out that Jewish part for a second. Um, but I the, the actually the one major problem I had with the show in Judaism and the representation was the sister-in-law who converts. I had like such an issue with that whole thing. And that's where I guess we're getting into something different. And that's a woman. It's not even a representation of a man. But that to me felt like just so trite and mm-hmm. not a, that should not be the butt of a joke. Right. And it was of so many jokes. First of all, her infertility is a butt of multiple jokes. And that I found just horrendous. Plus her, she's, eth- she's um, foreign. She's like an immigrant, right? Cause I think she's I like, Polish. she's not from New York. Yeah. Um, she seems pretty American. Is she American on the show? I always feel like she has yes. an accent. No, she's American. Really? Yeah. Anyways, doesn't matter. The point is that they 
yeah, they, they make a mockery to me of her con- converting mm-hmm. and her whole conversion process to be Jewish. And all the Jews, the scene at the restaurant where everybody else in the family is just ignoring her. And then she announces mm-hmm. she's pregnant. And basically nobody gives a shit about the woman who probably had to study 10,000 times more, who goes back and forth to the rabbi all the time than these Jews who just take it for granted and they don't even give a shit that she about her at all. And that to me, I just found that so ridiculous. And that was the only major, like my husband converted. Maybe that's why I'm sensitive about it. But, but uh, yeah, well, I just well, felt like that's like a dangerous representation. Again, talk like about a new representation of masculinity in Judaism, your so, husband. Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> a, you know, uh, multiple times He's, martial arts champion, but who looks like hilariously, he, he looks super Jewish. That was also, I wanted to ask Jewish. Jonathan about this. It's become okay, and I kind of like it, to talk about looking Jewish. When you are, you aren't Jewish. And I read this article about how there are some actors who are trying to like sue Google or have Google take out the fact that when you Google is so-and-so Jewish, a lot mm-hmm. of times it says yes when they're not. Oh, interesting. And, and people are going to get it removed. They want to get it removed because they're not Jewish. And John Hamm, I don't, I'm not saying John Hamm is doing this, but John Hamm is a perfect example of that. If you I'm quickly Google, right now. you can accidentally get the impression that John Hamm is Jewish, no, but no, he's not. You got that impression because you didn't read it's, Google properly, Lily. No. You, you're trying to like... It was Jewish. And Google he's not. sued because some people wonder if John Hamm is Jewish. He's Jewish. See? I'm not making this shit up. I do my research. Okay. I'm very conscious of Jonathan's time. And I wanted to I'm not. I I want Jonathan to stay with us forever. I I want him to be my private tutor. But Lily, if he teaches us, we have to actually let him speak. Um, (laughs) I don't don't think we're going to have time to do teen comedies and sex. I think we're going to have to have Jonathan come back and do another episode. I would love to talk about American Pie and Big Mouth. Oh my god, we have to do a whole other episode. I've only seen three episodes of Big Mouth, so I'm like, I need to see more. Oh, and I also really want to talk about Big Mouth, yeah. So I think think we're going to have Jonathan back for like teen sex and sex education, because you are a sex educator, and that's a huge part of your work. And and my feeling... Without turning into a whole discussion, I'll just say my feeling on Big Mouth, which I resisted for a long time, but I officially don the I Told You Show. It's a joint award on Becky and Josh, who hammered me into watching this show. I Told You So, you are geniuses, Becky and Josh. Um, I think it's like on a whole other level of brilliant. And, 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 it's, and I give Nick Kroll credit for, I mean, there are times where it descends into like, just being absurd and potty crazy. humor yeah, yeah like potty humor like beyond particularly like there's certain the parts that are just so off oh i can't even listen to his voice but when they deal with the serious issues i i think this is i haven't seen anything like this ever um, wait jonathan I, what are you gonna say i'm really torn i think they deal beautifully with issues like consent and even hard stuff like porn addiction but they play into such gross stereotypes about Jews. The characters that are most obviously marked as Jewish through their noses, their voices, their occupations are also the most physically and ethically repulsive characters. Like the like, father. Like Andrew's father, father. Andrew's who, father. Right, who's like, he is antisocial. He doesn't like anybody. He also is addicted to shellfish and graphically describes multiple times how shellfish make him soil himself, including he describes this during a bat mitzvah. Yes. And then Jesse, during her bat mitzvah, like this big Jewish experience, is when she 
horrifically realizes that her mother is cheating with the cantor. And then the cantor, the only Jewish professional on the screen, is the one, like, not just cheating with a congregant, but actively flirting with this congregant during the congregant's daughter's bat mitzvah. Um, and mm. the character, like the children are happiest when they run away from Jewish culture. Like Andrew and Missy sneak away from Jesse's bat mitzvah to go make out in the cantor study or in the uh, like, uh, what's it called, closet, where he uses his talus. The only thing that's apparently useful for it to him is to sponge sweat off of Missy's back. So the point is, like, even this is a perfect example of you can have lots of Jewish rep representation doesn't mean it's nice representation there it really call calls on very old stigmas of Jewishness related to like filth and grossness right and Which, I feel like there's a whole right. generation of kids that don't even necessarily know about all this stuff and now we're just introducing them to it right it's like welcome but to it's Judaism a really funny show you know, it right. doesn't have for that. Girls in your, and, and move and like well, there's all this great sex education, but you should probably like move a little bit away from being so Jewish, which is not yeah. a good message. Exactly. Whereas the grossness on Broad City is celebrated. Yeah. Exactly. And and that's the subtle differences in stuff like Maisel. And yeah. like there's these subtleties that, you know, that might not be obvious at first, but I mean, Broad City can be pretty disgusting. Yeah, but it's so delightful. But, but it's but it's somehow a disgusting empowerment. Right. Right. Like so the message is, for example, um, like if you have if you have the disgusting moment where like Alana vomits into the toilet while talking to Abby on Skype, the message is, like, they're such wonderful friends. They're not embarrassed be, about their bodies. Right, you'd be there for me. Right. right. And, like, women have bodies, too, and that's okay. I can tell you, having worked at Jewish summer camp, every summer, 13-year-old boys ask me, like, John, girls don't do number two, right? <laughs> um, and, and that maybe sounds like a sort of positive idealizing stereotype, but it fits into this idea of, like, pressuring women to perform this perfect aseptic oh, yeah. persona that is not realistic. That's where I think of that opening episode of Maisel when she gets up like extra early to make herself up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that, that to me is a great scene. Okay. One thing before we go, Jonathan, I forgot to ask about or I wanted to really stress and tease out, of course, we, we want to recognize that we are three folks who I think grew up in very privileged backgrounds, you know, very much experienced white privilege, privilege ourselves. And we are having this conversation and we don't want to be at all um, blind to the, to that fact or naive to the fact that there are so many other dimensions in this conversation. You must deal with this all the time in academia and, and in, and in, in your work. Could you maybe tease that out for us? So our listeners understand that we, we recognize we're not doing this in a vacuum. Yeah, thank you. So there's this history of Jews being seen as non-white or not quite white. And when that really starts to change in the U.S. is like after World War II. One reason was the Holocaust. You know, after seeing Nazi war crimes, it became much less fashionable in the U.S. to refer to groups like Irish or Slavs or, Ita or Jews or Italians as separate races. And they were kind of reimagined as ethnic varieties of whiteness instead. Uh, but I would say that pretty different from, say, Irish Americans, Jews in the present, even if we identify as white or are officially white on our driver's licenses, we are still targeted for racial stigma and violence at the same time in ways that don't quite fall cleanly across a, a white of color binary, like in Charlottesville, or in the like stigmatizing bodily representations of Jews on screen. So that tension between being white and yet also somehow racially stigmatized is what I want to get at. So could I ask just one more thing, which is, 
in your work, you're working with so many different communities. Uh, if you were to give advice to folks who, who are walking through this balance but also want to be allies, I mean, every I, I'm sure all of our listeners want to be allies in different ways to all sorts of different groups. It's a big part of, I know, our own family values. What What's the advice you have for people navigating that? Like, here we are having this great discussion, but we're also trying to recognize the fact that we are only a sliver of that real discussion. Yeah. Really listen to what people tell you about their own experiences and use your experiences with oppression to empathize with other people's. Once at Jewish summer camp, I was trying to explain to a group of teenage boys why it's not a compliment if you make comments to women about their bodies. And the way I got them to get it was I said, have you ever tried to explain anti-Semitism to a friend of yours who was Christian and they like didn't really believe you or didn't get it and you just wanted to say, yeah, just, like, just believe many me. Many times that has happened to me. <laughs> right. Like, and I said to you know this group of boys, haven't you ever felt like, just believe me about my own life when I tell you? And they were all like, yes, I get that. So then I said, okay, when women tell you about their lives, believe them. And it's <laughs> um, so, you know, if you're a Jewish person who's experienced anti-Semitism, use that insight to empathize with people who are facing racism, queer phobia, misogyny, and the other way around. Believe Jews when they well, tell you well, about anti-Semitism. To, to tie it back to your book, on, and if you want to end on that, on my note, Shai, but to tie it back to your book, I think Becky made a great point at the beginning that we were taught general base, don't discriminate, everybody's the same, like, it doesn't matter if people are different than you. And I, what I'm, ass I'm assuming that the beauty of your book is, and like what Becky was saying, she enjoyed so much, and I'm sure shy, is that it's, it's saying don't discriminate, but also look how you can empathize, mm -hmm. even if this is not your experience. Exactly. And like, and, or, or listen to somebody. It's not just about like, don't discriminate, which is great, but also it's, let's go a step further in that understanding. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I, there's this kind of phrase in feminist uh, thought, nice is not enough. And I mean, of course, be nice to everyone who's different from you. But discrimination right. in our society is so much bigger than interpersonal interactions. In addition to being nice to somebody who's different from you, how will you actually help to challenge the discrimination they face in daily life even right. when it doesn't direct you, directly affect you. Uh, Jonathan, let's get to an important segment of the show, which is our recommendations to people. You have a bunch of recommendations. Uh, what, what should people uh, who, who want to be ready for the next discussion with well, you, you should, watch? You should definitely watch all of Broad City and all of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend right to the end. They're so good. I also recommend the gay bear Jewish rapper Big Dipper. For those who don't know, a bear is like a slang term in the gay community for a heavy, hairy man. And he's doing really interesting stuff with body positivity. And then my students just introduced me to a uh, queer woman Jewish pop artist called King, King Princess. Princess. I didn't know she was Jewish. Uh, I believe she does. Becky, oh my, my god. My, my, my student of life, Becky, introduced me to King Princess. Uh, so I encourage folks <laughs> to check them out. So cool. Okay. Um, All right, Becky, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I do. So I, 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 Shy went and gloriously bought a whole collection well, of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. We had an actual found money situation. That is one of our terms on the show we haven't used um, in a while, where my daughter opened up a box and a shoebox where I had gotten this amazing gift of these fancy vans from my friends from the public applications department, Jake and the publications crew from my last job. And she found a $40 iTunes gift card in there that I didn't, I never saw. I was just so happy I got the shoes. And so, so we, Oh, go ahead. 
So we collectively, the three of us, decided what it should be spent on. We agreed on Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Because there was a sale and, on iTunes. Yeah. And then this week I rewatched um Talk about Jewish parts Max one and Eddie. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> parts one and two. So good. Still hold up. Gang, go back and just re you're like you're feeling like there's a drought. You're having a little post show uh, sadness. Just treat yourself. Watch part one. Go back. Watch part two. Phenomenal. Still great movies. Uh, James Cameron just really nails it. Um, the only thing I will say, Shai, is that it seems that you bought, um, for Judgment Day, it seems that you bought the special edition, which has these added scenes that are, are terrible. And oh, really? are trying they are like ruining the movie right. like Vlad and I had to just All go right. while we were watching it well, it was I'm so gonna bad. have to go back and buy the not Those, special edition yeah buy the Lily, regular I have to do that thing edition. I have to do that thing where I call or where we get the money back right you just it's real easy guys and this is a hidden like a, a life hack just click report on your iTunes bill and tell them you didn't want it and oh. they'll give you your money back Okay. So, well, this is a real bummer. If you is this is if this well, is a, this real is a bummer because the sale is over, and if I want Terminator Two now, I have to spend twelve bucks. Anyways, maybe they'll swap it out for you. All right, we'll see. All right, um, I have. Let's see. Do I, but Lily? Do you have a recommendation? I do. I actually have a like. I wanted to ask people in general, and then maybe on Twitter. I'm, but I'm kind of embarrassed that if I just put a question out on Twitter, but I don't tag anyone, like, no one's going to respond to me. <laughs> no one's going to respond to you. So, but do it anyway. It's cute. I know, but I, I saw El Camino last night. I know you guys aren't fans of Breaking Bad. I don't know, Jonathan, if you are. I've, um, I've seen it, but I don't like but, it. Yeah, I've like, I don't know episode. anyone that actually watches it, because it's very dark and depressing, but it's brilliantly done. Well, back to America. And, Everyone watches it. I guess. I guess, but... Um, so I watched El Camino last night, which is like the continuation. Um, and I thought it was pretty good. So if you like Breaking Bad, give it a try. Tweet at me. Let me know what you think. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes when you watch something, you're like, unless I talk to someone, I don't know if I like this. Like, I, I'm a very opinionated person. But then I, I'm also like, I need to hear what somebody else has to say before I can form a true opinion. Um, and I can't wait for Brian Steverschei. Shout out to Brian to uh, watch from Let It Snow from the Take Two from podcast. the Take Two podcast to watch uh, Let It Snow and Craig to watch Let It Snow the new rom com. Oh, I can't wait. Talk about myths. I'm I'm excited for the triple Vanessa <laughs> Hudgens movie. I think that when there's a tri- there has to be a triple, and then let's just keep adding Vanessa Hudgens to movies till there's a movie where she is the only character. Right. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, oh yeah, you yeah. already gave yours. Um, uh, my uh, my recommendations are the are all of the. No, name- you went first. You went first. My my, uh, my recommendations are all of the amazing oh, yeah. people I mentioned okay. in my intro. All the folks from from Gamer Comic Expo and um, and Big Mouth and the Goldbergs. Uh, since I get the last words on the recommendations, <laughs> um, uh, but Jonathan, where can people follow you in addition to jonathanbranfman.com and and what should they be checking out? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter on at John Branfman, J-O-N-B-R-A-N-F-M-A-N. Uh, and that's where I post like TED Talks, uh, information about my book. So that's the place. And that's awesome. Lily, where can people follow you? On Twitter, um, Chi-Chi, C-H-I-C-H-I. People complain that they don't understand my handle. K Gomez, like Gomez Adams on the Twitter. Or Gomez like your last name. 
Or Gomez, like my husband's last name. <laughs> Not my last name. But, yeah. That's where you can follow me. Becky, you're right. Are you looking at a picture of your haircut? Is that what that face is? <laughs> <laughs> she looks Wait, like look. if you were near her, she would stab you. Did you see that I texted? Not laughing. Listen to who's not laughing. Do you me. see that? I what's funny I'm not is laughing. what's funny is is that I googled Gary Busey mugshot <laughs> and instead sent you Nick Nolte's mugshot. <laughs> Both apply. That's not a mullet. That just he hasn't washed his hair in a while. Okay. <laughs> um, at paper BK princess. If you tweet at me and then text me and tell me to look at the tweet, I will. <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow me at pancake for table. That's pancake and the number for table. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow all of the Friday Night Movie shenanigans at Fry Night Movie on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also go to FridayNightMoviePod.com. You're already listening to this if you have the podcast. But have you subscribed? Have you downloaded all the past episodes? Have you left a review? We haven't asked people to write a review in a long time, although we seem to have a lot now. Uh, If you want to do anything to help the pod, um, aside from write us large checks... Just click on the review button on iTunes. It's really helpful for us to give a positive review. If you hate the show, just just do what my parents do and send us a lengthy email with all your complaints. Um, uh, and uh, with that, the theme music, which is by What Does It Eat, will start. And we will dance into the evening and wish each other goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.